Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Exodus this morning. We're continuing to think about the tabernacle as it's described in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 compares the New Covenant to the Old Covenant and the the tabernacle to the work of Christ. We've been taking time the last few weeks to think about the significance of the tabernacle to us today and to the gospel before we take a more detailed look at, at Hebrews 9. So let's come to the Lord in prayer and then we'll look at the scripture. Father, we thank you for this time. We acknowledge that over a period of of 1,500 years, you gave your word through men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge and confess, Lord, that your word is God-breathed, not inspired as we think about a sunset being inspired or a photograph being inspired, but breathed out by you so that it is true, so that it is powerful. And we thank you for this as we come in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a little bit of review. The the tabernacle was a place of communion. God had always intended to be with his people. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He... Uh, spoke to Abraham and Sarah. He was with his people in the tabernacle. And all of those were promises in the tabernacle especially that Jesus Christ would be Emmanuel, God with us. We see a picture of him there. And the tabernacle was a place of reconciliation as well. The, the tabernacle, the design of it, is, as you can see in the, the graphic that's printed on the front of the bulletin, the, uh, the tabernacle depicted man's separation from God. You've got the, the, the altar and the bronze basin and the veils. But the tabernacle also promised a, or provided a temporary covering for sin through the altar, through the basin, through the Ark of the Covenant, and promised eternal reconciliation between holy God and sinful man. But there's still more that we can understand thinking about the tabernacle as we think about what was inside of it. And the first is that the the tabernacle is a place of provision. It was a place of provision. It's a picture of God providing for our physical needs. See, as you came into the tabernacle past the altar, past the... Uh, bronze basin filled with water and through that first veil you came to a table called the table of showbread now if you think about it it doesn't take us long to become hungry usually it just takes a few hours especially if somebody is working hard to become hungry Uh, hunger is such a significant issue that it's actually one of our primary measurements of poverty according to a british charity called the world food program 820 million people around the world went to bed hungry last night. That's a measurement. How many people go to bed hungry? Close to a billion. 
And water is just as crucial. We can live really weeks with very little food, many, many days with no food, but we can't last many days at all without water. We understand this intellectually, but I really feel very strongly that no one in this room has ever been on the verge of starvation because they've had no food for two or three or four weeks. Nobody in this room has ever been at death's door because they haven't had water. We just don't have that in the United States. But the Hebrews in the wilderness faced this almost as soon as they left Egypt. So we're looking at at Exodus chapter 15. Let me give you a little bit of, of context there. In Exodus 14, the Lord delivers the Hebrews through the Red Sea. He delivers them from the Egyptian army. He drowns the Egyptian army in the, the Red Sea. In the first part of, uh, of Exodus 15, Moses sings out a psalm of praise to God. And then verse 22 says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. They weren't living in a temperate zone. They were in a desert. The average temperatures, eight months of the year, seven months of the year on the Sinai Peninsula is above 80 degrees. Three months, it's well into the 90s or 100s. It is always windy, windy on the Sinai Peninsula. It is dry. The humidity is very, very low. It's very rarely cloudy. The average human being in that kind of condition on the move every day needs at least a gallon and a half of water to stay healthy. A gallon and a half of water weighs 12 pounds. Three days water, each person is carrying 36 pounds just of water, and that only lasts them three days. So three days in from the Red Sea, they are thirsty. Three days in from the wet Red Sea, they're in trouble. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, Verse 23 says, for they were bitter. That doesn't mean poisonous. That means that it was like seawater. It was so loaded with minerals that it was undrinkable. And so the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? These aren't soldiers. These aren't survival specialists. These are former slaves. Some men in the prime of their life perhaps but a lot of women a lot of children a lot of elderly people they're in a bad way they're desperate Moses prays verse 25 Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and he threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet that that's not a naturally occurring event there's no tree that takes minerals out of water This is a miracle. There he made for them a statute and a regulation, and there he tested them. And the Lord said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water, and 70 date palms, and they camped there besides the water. The 70 date palms are obviously not enough to provide food for millions of people, but it's proof that the water is good. And there's 12 springs of water at this place. 
Verse 1 of chapter 16 says, Then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim, Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land. So it's been 45 days since they crossed the Red Sea. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the, in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Three days and they're out of water. And the Lord led them to sweet water, or to to water that he sweetened miraculously. And then 45 days, they've gone through their supplies. Their wagons have been loaded. But now they're hungry. And now there's nothing. And now the babies are crying. And now the people are getting faint. So I want you to think about this. Here's the Sinai Peninsula. It's that shark tape, shark tooth shaped part in the middle there. You got the Gulf of Aquaba on the right. We got the Red Sea on the left. For a little bit of perspective, here's Nebraska. Yellow brown equals dry. Green equals wet. Dry is no food. Green, green is food. Just for the sake of scale, there's the Sinai Peninsula and Nebraska. It's not a big place. What did God promise to do for them? He promised to bring them to Israel. Here's Israel at the time. Here's the land as they would take it, and uh, at least half of it is green going to take you to a place where you can grow food. Green means food. God says, I'm going to meet your needs. He rebuked them for their unbelief and for their disloyalty and for their ingratitude, but he never rebuked them for being thirsty. He never rebuked them for being hungry. And he provided food for them. We, we, we read as we go on that he... Uh, that quail ran through the camp in the evening, and in the morning there was a, a kind of flower on the ground in, in quantities big enough that they could gather it up and gather up about one and a half quarts per person per day. That was manna. Manna is a, it's a wonderful Hebrew word. It means, what is it? God said, I'm going to give you food, and the people walked out and went, what's that? And Moses says, that's the food. And so they said, well, what is it is a pretty good name. And by the way, we didn't read the passage in Hebrews this morning in chapter 9, but hopefully you remember that when he talks about the Ark of the Covenant, he says in the Ark of the Covenant there was a jar of manna in the Ark of the Covenant. God says to the people of Israel, I want you to take your doubt and your unbelief and I want you to put it in a jar and it's going to go in that ark. And you're always going to be reminded that I provided even as you doubted, even as you questioned. So God knew what they needed. The very first words God ever said to man 
You remember what they were? Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. God said, I have given you every tree of the garden for food. But of the tree of the, knowledge, of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you won't eat, and the day you eat of it, you'll die. But the first words God says are, I have given you food. Think about this. The first thing God says to Adam is, you must be hungry. I've given you food. God created us to need food. He created us to need water. Every living thing must eat to survive. That's God's design. It's not the result of the fall. We know that long after the Lord provided water and quail and manna for the people in the wilderness, the Lord Jesus on the sides of the Sea of Galilee fed 5,000 men plus women and children one time, 4,000 men plus women and children another time. And in fact, that became a a point in John chapter 6 where the... He feeds them and then they chase after him and he says, what do you want? And they say, we want more food. And he says, no, you're missing the point. And they said, we haven't missed the point at all. The point is food. We need food. And he he steers them toward himself as the bread of life. Well, how, how does all of this then relate to the tabernacle? God gave Moses instructions for the tabernacle, and those instructions included building a table, which was not as high as this pulpit, but actually about the same dimensions on the top. Good job, Justin. And on that table, God said, you're going to place bread, unleavened bread, 12 loaves. We call them loaves. I don't know what else we would translate because we raise bread, we shape it into a, into a loaf. They're using unleavened bread. It would have been round. It took about 12 cups of flour per loaf by God's instruction. 12 cups of flour runs about 4,000 calories. And if, if you're a, a man and you're moving through the heat, if you're an adult woman and you're moving through the heat of the day and you're walking and you're on your feet wandering nonstop and you're constantly working, that's about what you need to survive. Twelve loaves of bread, each one is a man's rations. Each one is an adult's rations. He also said, uh, if you look at Numbers chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Over the table of the bread of the presence, they shall also spread a cloth of blue and put on it the dishes and the pans and the sacrificial bowls and the jars for the drink offering. The drink offering is wine. And the continual bread shall be on it. There's a, there are jars of wine, jars, plural, of wine, on the table of showbread containing a drink offering each. A drink offering was about, it was about one hen, and a hen is about a gallon. And a, a gallon of wine provides 10 or 11 ounces for 12 people. So what you have on the table of showbread is communion. You have the Last Supper. You have the loaves of bread, and you have wine. And as the priests walked in to the holy place to tend the table of showbread, to tend the lampstand, 
to pray at the altar of incense. As they walked in, there is a reminder, God knows what you need for life today. And he's provided it. That, that's not the way churches usually function. That's not the way religious organizations usually function. They usually say, oh, we're leaving all the things of the world outside. We're leaving all of this mundane, common, kind of pointless stuff outside. Everything in here is very high and lifted up. Everything in here is just very exalted. But when you walked into the, into the tent of God, the first thing you saw on your right-hand side is, is where they usually place it in the drawings. I don't know. The first thing you see is... Well, I know, but that wasn't... I didn't find that picture in Exodus. I, saw, I found it on the front of the bulletin, Danny, but it wasn't in Exodus. The first thing that you see is a table. When Jesus is resurrected and his men are out in the boats fishing, they look over at the seashore and they see Jesus on the seashore. What's he doing? He's cooking breakfast. God isn't opposed to us needing food. He's not opposed to us needing water. There's more to it than this. In Exodus chapter 25, if you want to just flip over there quickly, Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, God says to Moses uh, about the, the Ark of the Covenant, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, we read, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. As Moses went into the, the, the holy place, there was the table with bread and wine. And he moved forward just a few feet to the veil, to the Ark of the Covenant, and he received the Word of God. He received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai as kind of a summary, but the riches of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were given within that tent. God provided the physical needs of his people. God provided the spiritual needs of his people as well through his word. When we first began the book of Hebrews, we read in the first two verses, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. You have bread in the tabernacle. You have the living bread, the word of God, depicted in the tabernacle. Bread and wine, the scriptures, and, and all of these are prophetic pointers to the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, the word of God made flesh, the bread of life. Jesus came as the final, perfect, complete revelation of God to mankind. It's why we reject all other revelation. It's why whenever somebody steps up and says, oh, but God told me this, we say no. We don't need to even hear what they've got to say. We say no, because God has spoken once and for all, and finally, in Jesus Christ. 
We need food and water. We need spiritual nourishment as well. In Second Peter, Peter, who, who lived with Jesus, who walked with him, who knew him, wrote, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. And, and we usually, and I think very rightly, say that's the scriptures. It's everything relating to the power of life within us and everything relating to spiritual life in Christ and life together as the church and eternal life and all of that. Yes, I believe that's absolutely true. But when Peter says he's granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness, a little bit of that everything is bread and wine. It's bread and water. It's food and drink. God knows what we need. Peter didn't invent this. He got it from the temple of his day. Because when, when Peter went to the temple and, and went to the Nicanor gate with, with a sacrifice as he used to do or to simply pray, he could look past the altar, see the tabernacle, and know he knew that right inside those doors was the table of showbread. And then, of course, Peter spent three years with the bread of life and saw the bread of life give the truth of Scripture to his disciples and to the multitudes, but also multiply bread because their bodies needed food too. As we, as we bring this home, the Lord continues to care for us and provide for us. The reason that farmers are able to grow grain and vegetables and fruit and raise animals for food is because God's promise remains true. He continues to provide for us. Now, he doesn't rain food down from heaven on us as he did for those in the wilderness, but he only did it for them while they were in the wilderness. He brought them into the promised land. And once they were in the promised land, the manna stopped. God said, now it's your job to go farm. The seasons I maintain, the water I send, the snow I send, the wind I send, the heat of the, of the summer, the cold of the winter, all of that process I provide so that you can grow food. There's, there's absolutely no power with any man or woman or scientist or agronomist to grow food if God doesn't provide the foundation for that with seasons and soil. And we can open the pages of Scripture and we can read the Word of God and see the Word of God and hear the voice of God in Scripture, truth itself, Genesis through Revelation. The Lord has preserved the Scriptures for us through thousands of years of history. See, Jesus Christ is the word of life, and Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And I believe that Jesus himself gives us the application for this basic truth that we see in the tabernacle.
In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33, let's listen to the Lord Jesus. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Father, we thank you for the love that you showed your people and that you continue to show us. We thank you for your graciousness. We thank you for your kindness. Because of the fall, this world opposes us. It opposes harvesting. It, it opposes planting. It, it fights us as it fought Adam. And Lord, it's because of the tough-minded, determined men and women over thousands of years of history that we eat They don't give up. They continue to work through good harvests and bad harvests. Their efforts bear fruit literally because of your promise. We thank you, Lord, that you go beyond our physical needs and you meet our spiritual needs that our need for your word, the the bread of life, Jesus himself, is as real as our need for physical food. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that at the end of that passage I just read, you don't say seek only the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You don't tell us to stop working. You tell us to place physical labor in its proper position, which is second to seeking you. Teach us to do that more and more. And thank you for the provision that you've given us, even for the simple, basic things of life. And in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.